0: be something like in mocking, mockers will proceed in their lives. There's a repetition of that. So there's, a, there's an emphasis upon that mocking or that scoffing that Peter gives. Um, Pastor Jones read it to you from the ESV. It says, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. That, that repetition draws your attention to this particular sin. You've already heard a definition, but I'll give it to you again. To be a scorner or to be a scoffer, it means to, to mock, or oh, it means to treat with derision or scorn. It can mean to ridicule. And of course, we heard in the context of 2 Peter 3, it's in the context of scorning the truth of Christ's return. Now, it's more than just that. There's something asso- There's something that was very clearly presented to you this morning that's associated with Christ's return, and you'll see this here in a moment. Uh, but certainly, scorning his return. Uh, and it's not just the truth of his return that is scoffed at, but that mocking is directed at those who entrust themselves to that truth. Um, that's... Uh, um, they they can't. Um, they're not they're not going to be content with simply mocking the concept, right? They will mock and ridicule those who hold to this concept uh, as their hope. Um, we notice that Peter points out that there's a motivation behind that mocking and ridicule, and that is their lust. You notice that their lust. Mockers will come mocking according to their lust. And that is, driving this is their desire for evil things. Now, I'm trying to think of a way I might illustrate this. Um, Sometimes when I hear people talk and uh, there's some kind of attempt at a philosophical or a theological defense of some evil thing, I always think, well, which came first? Was it the theology or the evil thing, right? And I think probably the evil thing came first, and then with an attempt to justify it, someone then comes up with a theology to defend it. Um, I I hear this a lot, uh, uh, or I read it when uh, with with uh, atheistic philosophers who will who will write and speak and I consider thing things that they're trying to defend or I consider their lifestyle and I always ask myself well which which came first the sin they want or their atheism which what's really driving what and it's probably true that they did not come to this complicated philosophy of atheism and then there therefore conclude, oh, well if that's true, there I can get I should be, I can get away with all this. It's probably probably quite the reverse. So we see that they come mocking, but it's according to their lust. There's this craving, there's this desire for evil things, and that that's where it starts. And in, in their heart is a craving for evil things and then that drives their scorning of the return of Christ, and there's a very, there, there's a there's really a logic to that. I mean, we would say this is this is this is illogical in the sense this is a very dangerous way of, uh, uh, way of thinking, but there's a certain logic to it, and by that I mean that they they want their evil, they want they want to fulfill their lusts. And so they scorn the return of Christ, which is, ju- which is an attempt to justify the evil that they are craving. So, because if they can get rid of the return of Christ, then they can comfort themselves with the evil that they are practicing. Um, so I think you'll see that as we go through our study today. Um, okay, so we're in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. 14.6, Proverbs 14.6, A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. The book of Proverbs has two categories of people. All right? the, big, the two biggest categories of people in Proverbs are the wise and the foolish. Take a look at this proverb. The scoffer belongs to which category? The scoffer seeks wisdom but does not find it. What category does that place the scoffer in? The scoffer is a fool. All right? He is not wise. The proverb gives a diagnosis of why he does not know true wisdom. In some, in, some, in some sense, he seeks wisdom. He has maybe some perception of wisdom, something of it that he wants. There's something about wisdom maybe that he seeks or wants. He doesn't find it. But this knowledge is easy to him who understands, the proverb says. So there's a diagnosis here of why he does not know what is true wisdom. And notice it does it by way of contrast, by showing us the one who has discovered knowledge. The scoffer has not discovered knowledge. The scoffer does not walk in wisdom. Knowledge is easy to him who understands. Um, the one who has knowledge is the one is easy for the one who has understanding. So it's by way of contrast that we're getting a bit of a diagnosis on the scoffer. So here's the illustration that I've used that I've used before. Um, I go to the doctor because I'm sick, and it's because I've been eating only Doritos. Now I'm I'm not giving medical advice, right? So don't don't go home and throw your Doritos away. Don't do that. Just give them to me before you throw them away.
1: <laughs>
0: I go to the doctor because I've, I've only been eating Doritos, so I'm not feeling well. And the doctor, he wants to explain why I'm not healthy. And so he does that by pulling out a chart of foods and their nutritional content and their effects on the body. And his chart doesn't have any snack foods on it. His, I look and his chart doesn't have any Doritos on it. Uh, His chart doesn't say anything at all about the effect of Doritos on the body. His chart is only showing healthy food and their effects on the body. So by implication, what's he saying about my Doritos? Um, He doesn't have to go into all of the things about what Doritos have. He's going into the effect of of the things of other food, and by that he's he's rebuking my Doritos. So by contrast, I'm learning um, what I should eat or how I should eat. If you look at 14.6, it's a proverb that works by not, at least at this proverb, it doesn't go into all the details of what a scoffer is doing, but it does rebuke him by showing what he's not doing, and he's not a man of understanding, right? Why does, why does the scoffer fail to be wise? He seeks wisdom. Now, what does that mean? That seems like a strange thing to say, but it may be simply meaning that he wants the recognition of being wise. He wants uh, a scoffer would like to have the honor of being right, of having knowledge. Maybe that in that sense he's seeking it, but he does not want understanding. That's what he's not willing to submit to. If you'll If you'll flip a few pages back to the beginning of Proverbs, we can get an understanding of what's happening here. When we have these words like knowledge and understanding, what we need to do is go back to the beginning of the book of Proverbs, and let's see these at the beginning of the book, and these will help us to understand the Proverbs as we get later in the book. Notice the opening, the opening first uh, seven verses of the book of Proverbs. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Now, here's the, here's the purpose statement for the book of Proverbs. This is why it's written. To know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of... Ah, there's the word understanding. To perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction." Um, Derek Kidner in his commentary on Proverbs uh, explains these opening verses like this. It's like, wisdom is light. Think of wisdom as light. And what the book of Proverbs does is it functions as a prism. And so wisdom comes through the book of Proverbs and wisdom is divided out, you know, into the Roy G. Biv, all the colors of the rainbow. Light is split into that as it passes through a prism, so it's light, but there's different aspects of the light. And the book of Proverbs is like a prism, and it divides wisdom out into its different components. And that's what we you have in the opening verses. You have all of these different uh, words. You have you have wisdom, and you have instruction. Uh, you have understanding. Um, you have knowledge, you have discretion, you've got, you have prudence, you have these kinds of things, and at the bottom here at verse seven of that, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of this and, and Kidner uh, defines that as the the fear of the Lord is the submission to the, the worshipping submission to the God of the covenant that 's what the fear of the Lord is that 's the beginning and the ongoing controlling principle of wisdom. This is what it means to know. This is what it means to have understanding. If you are, according to the book of Proverbs, someone who has understanding, then you—you you, that's riding along the rails of the fear of the Lord. For you, if you have knowledge, if you have understanding, you are attaining to discretion and prudence the beginning and the ongoing foundation that you are resting upon is your worshiping submission to the God of the covenant. All right? That's a, that's a gospel statement. The gospel has been preached to you, and you have received the preaching of the good news, and you have offered your submission to the God who condescends to unworthy sinners and initiates a covenant with them uh, this is what it means to be wise. Now, that's the beginning of wisdom. That's the ongoing controlling principle of wisdom. And from that, then, we work out all kinds of other things that we have to be doing as we live out our life, right? But it begins with the gospel. It begins with receiving the good news of a covenant that God makes with unworthy sinners by which enmity is removed by which a relationship of friendship and welcome is attained. You notice now in 14.6, the scoffer seeks wisdom and doesn't find it. Why? Because he refuses to understand. He will not offer his worshiping submission to the God of covenant. That's why he's a fool. And it begins to explain. It begins to diagnose why he's a scoffer, why he is a scorner of the truth. He will not submit himself to it. There is not, for the scorner, there is not this worshiping submission to the God of covenant who condescends to unworthy sinners with the terms of grace. There is a hard-heartedness about the scoffer. Why? Because he will not understand. And understanding here... What's the beginning of understanding? What's the controlling principle of true understanding? Submission to God. All right? Submission to God. Did you detect that in 2 Peter 3? A refusal? Worshipping submission to the God of the covenant. There is not that in those scoffers there. So maybe the proverb is revealing an irony. Maybe the scoffer wants to be smart but he's just a smart aleck. He's a scorner. Have you ever met a know-it-all? How, many, how much does that person really know? Let's take, some, let's take a look at some other proverbs here. Scoffer. We see at, at the very root of it, it's, it's the root of unbelief. All right? That's where we begin. It's, the, it's this root of unbelief. It's not an intelligence problem. Right. It's a, it's a very deep spiritual problem of rebellion. Let's look at two things. Uh, well, no, let's look at... One, uh, the next thing we're going to look at is pride. Let's take a look at Proverbs 21-24. Unbelief is the first thing, this root of unbelief. And the second thing is this root of pride. Of course, you're not surprised that those are going to go together twenty one twenty four uh, reading from the New King James says a proud and haughty man scoffer is his name. he acts with arrogant pride. Notice that scoffing we should note that scoffing and arrogance should be cons- are going to be considered constant companions with scoffing, there will be arrogance, and with arrogance there will be scoffing, even the scoffer. Even with his root of unbelief, even with his, at the root of his heart, refusing to offer his submission to the God of covenant, who condescends to unworthy sinners with the terms of grace, even that man isn't going to be without a God, and if he rejects the true God, he's going to make something else his God, and he'll even make himself his God a proud and haughty man scoffer is his name he acts with arrogant pride the scoffer is going to be a man who is stubbornly self-ruled he he will be he will not be ruled by god he will be ruled by himself he will not submit himself to god's will he will be he will follow his will he, he will be self-willed he will be a law unto himself we get, we got that from the first proverb we looked at if he will not submit himself to the lord and his word There's going to be a word that he follows. Look at at him here, proud and haughty. It will be his own word. He is so confident. And this, I think, also conveys the idea that he's aggressively arrogant. He is aggressively arrogant. We, we uh, We heard today that... The, that the scoffers that that Peter is talking about how do the, how do they forget right there's there are these truths of God working in creation in the flood things being preserved now how do the, how does the scoffer forget he willfully forgets right it's very intentional it, there's an aggressive arrogance to it it's not an intelligence problem it's not as if um, you might find someone like that, and it's only simply a matter of just finding exactly the right way to put the words. And I'm not saying that kind of thing is unimportant, but there's an aggressiveness. There's, he willfully forgets. There's a deliberate rejection of these things. A proud and haughty man, Scoffer, is his name. All right? So we would say, well, it's a good thing that scoffers just keep their scoffering, scoffing and their mock the mockery of the truth to themselves, right? They keep it to themselves. No, we heard today that they act on this. Let's consider ways that the scoffer acts. Take a look at Proverbs 19.28. 19.28, we're going to draw this point out, that scoffers from a root of unbelief and from that then pride... Scoffers are prideful in their speech. It comes out. You were expecting that, right? For, for, because out of the treasury heart of the heart, man brings forth his words. 1928 says, A disreputable witness scorns justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. A disreputable witness scorns. That is to say, a disreputable witness arrogantly ridicules or scoffs at justice. Scorning, the scorner here opens his mouth, and what does he do? He scorns justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. We see the aggressiveness of the scorner coming out by his words. A disreputable witness is a worthless witness. And what makes a witness worthless? Witnesses, he's on the witness stand. What makes him worthless? What is he doing? He's... He's lying. He's worthless. He scorns at justice. Look at the depth of hard-heartedness to which the scorner will descend. He isn't scorning just the parties involved. He isn't scorning, mocking the prosecution. He isn't, isn't mocking just the defense. He's mocking the concept of justice itself. Now put your mind on what Peter said. Did we not hear that this morning? With the return of Christ, what will we have? We will have justice. We, we had from, the, uh, from several of the prophets this morning very plain descriptions of the bringing forth of God's justice in an ultimate and final, complete and terrible way. Justice will be brought forth so we say, ah, oh, yes, here are the mouth of the scorner. He scorns at the concept of justice. He hates it. And the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Peter, Peter understands this because his mention of the scoffers is in the context of the fire of judgment coming, up, coming upon ungodly men. Scoffers ridicule the idea of true and ultimate justice. Well, why would they do that? Why would they scorn at that and refuse to bow their knee? Well, there must be some lust that they that they want. And they don't want that, they don't want to be held accountable for that. So let's get rid of justice. Let's get rid of this ultimate accountability. Let's scorn at that. Let's scoff at that. And perhaps I'll find some comfort in, in my own soul as I as I pursue the evil that I want. Mocking, as they're driven by their lust. They crave this evil. Certainly, that's what the disreputable witness wants. That must be his own lust. Some evil thing. It's not the truth that he wants. It's not justice that he wants. It's not what's right. It's not accountability. He scorns at the concept of justice. So it makes perfect sense to me for Peter, in the context of an ultimate, the deliverance of an ultimate justice, for Peter to say... This is how men will respond. This is how unbelievers will respond to it. They will hate the concept of justice. They will scorn it. They will ridicule it. They will ridicule those who are holding to it as their hope. Um, for there, there is this accountability that they, don't, that they don't want upon themselves. They don't want justice. It's at the heart of the scoffer. Notice the proverb uh, illustrates the close connection between scorn and speech when it says, The mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. The mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. So the inner heart issues don't stay hidden in the heart, they come out of the mouth in the form of rotten words. The mockery or the scorning is done by speech, it's of a nature to scorn justice itself. And then the second line of the proverb shows why they talk like this. It's because they love it. If I were to place a plate of your favorite food in front of you, what would you do with that plate of food? Your favorite I mean, think of the most favorite food, and I put a plate of it in front of you. what are you going to do? You going to pick at it? No, you're going to devour. Why does the mouth of the wicked devour iniquity? Because that's what he wants. That's what he loves. That's what he craves. His lust is for iniquity. No surprise that he scorns justice. No surprise that he ridicules justice. All right? It makes perfect sense to me for Peter to bring forth uh, this concept of scoffing in the context of justice. So the scoffer is prideful in his speech. Um, He is then too proud to listen. Now, you probably could have gained that from the opening verses of the book of Proverbs, where you hear this, the importance of listening, the importance of receiving instruction, the importance of hearing, the importance of growing in these things. So take a look at Proverbs 9, verses 7 and 8. Proverbs 9, 7, and 8. There are no surprises in any of this. From a heart of unbelief that refuses to submit to God, you would expect pride to be the constant companion of that, of course. You would expect pride. You would expect this person to be self-ruled, self-willed. You would expect this person to have an aggressiveness to this. This pridefulness in speech, it comes out. This, of course, begins in the heart. There's, there's a heart that hates justice. We see, we know that that's in their heart because it comes out in their mouth. They scorn justice because they love their iniquity. They don't want to be held accountable for that because they love it. They want to keep it. It's lusts that drive these scorners. But they're also, we would and this is not a surprise, they're too proud to listen Uh, 9 verses 7 and 8. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Is it shameful to try and correct a scoffer? Right? Is the Bible telling you if you find a scoffer, just walk on by? Don't even try? No, I don't think it's telling us that. But it is telling you this, that trying, trying to correct an unrepentant scoffer is like reaching your hand into a den of rattlesnakes. So, I mean, you can try, but you've been warned, right? You've been warned. Don't be surprised if the scoffer does not honor you and thank you for your attempt to help him. Don't be surprised. Now, that's not, a, that's not the Scripture saying, if you have an opportunity to speak... And to reason with somewhat, someone and to give them the truth, it's not saying don't do that. It is saying you need to go at it wisely and if they turn on you and they hate you and after your attempt, they are only ridiculing you now all the more, you can say, Oh, okay, the Lord, the Lord warned me ahead of time. It's, at, it's because it's in the nature of the scoffer. All right? You can attempt it, but it may result in only you getting shame for yourself, right? He will turn on you and attack you for your attempt to help. A scoffer will not receive wisdom and so isn't going to make good progress in the, in the good direction of repenting and learning, Right? It's like this downward spiral that the scoffer is in. He won't listen. That's, that's really what you should expect. Now, by God's grace... Lots of scoffers have been saved by God's grace. We don't, we don't dismiss that at all. But here we're considering this unrepentant scoffer. If, if he's not going to listen to the very things that would save him, if he will scoff at the very offer of help that comes to him, he's on this downward spiral. He'll scoff at that and his heart grows hardened and even further hardened against the very things that would be preached to him that would help him Uh, be delivered from that. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Look at the second half here. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Now that's helpful. That's helpful. Maybe perhaps you're thinking, and you were directed really to do this in, in the sermon this morning, you're thinking to yourself, um, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. I'm not, I'm not that kind of scoffer, but Lord, I still see in my heart. I see. And, I mean, brother, it was brilliantly put to us uh, how we can be scoffing and perhaps not even realize. If, if I become anxious on, on the unfolding of the Lord's providence in my life, isn't it, is, have I lost confidence in His promises? Whoa, Peter is talking to me all of a sudden, isn't he? All right, that's stung, I'll admit. Okay, that's stung a little bit. If I'm discontent, if I'm not trusting the Lord to take care of me, when Peter here is talking about the ultimate care that God has promised for his people, and I begin to get worried and anxious about the, the little things during the day, if God's going to... Have I not begun to entertain these... Uh, have, have not seeds of scoffing, seeds of scorning the promises of God, scorning his faithfulness, right? So the second half of this proverb, I think, will be encouraging to you. Notice it says, rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Well, why would you need to rebuke a wise man? Because the, even the wise are not yet glorified. Even the wise are not yet glorified. So you can... I hope that's an an encouraging truth for you that even the wise may have a seat of scoffing that needs to be rebuked. But yet God calls them wise. They have bowed their knee to the Lord. They have offered their worshiping submission to the God of covenant, but they're not yet glorified. Corruptions yet remain... They still need to grow. They still need to learn. They still need to hear the application of scoffing to the sin of anxiety. But notice that the wise, what, what do they do when they are rebuked? They, they love the rebuker, right? They love that help that, that's, that's coming. I hope that's an encouragement to you that when you look at yourself and you see the remaining corruptions that does not mean that you not that you haven't t- attained to the knowledge and the understanding and the wisdom that is here promoted in the book of proverbs it may simply mean that you're growing in it did you need to be rebuked today did you receive any rebukes would you admit that were you happy for that well that that's what the wise do they love those who teach them and help them but you see the scorner he doesn't want any of that why? Well, because, we, because he's proud. A proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name. He doesn't want to bend his neck. His neck is stiff. He doesn't want to uh, present his heart before the Lord. His heart is hard, and he will hold on to it uh, in the way that it is. They're too proud to listen, right? The wise are not too proud to listen, and they need to listen. Even they are not glorified yet. Uh, to listen, let me give you a couple of others here along this same line. Proverbs 13, 1 says, A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. 13.1, a wise son heeds his father's instruction. Well, if he's wise, he doesn't need any, instru- any instruction anymore, right? No. No, even the wise still need to learn, still need to grow. Who is the wise son? He's the one who listens, right? Working on that pride, working on repenting of that pride, which so defines the scoffer. He heeds his father's instruction. The scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Um, parents, take a look at 13.1 here and think of your role as a parent. Our, our first exposure to authority is in the home. It's through our parents. The person who refuses to listen to instruction has a problem with authority. Right? Refusal to submit to parental authority, that's a gateway to a hard life. And some of you could probably raise your hand and, and give me all kinds of affirmations to that, and how you had to learn that the hard way. So parents of children, have mercy upon your children. Right? And be merciful to them by exercising the authority that God has given to you. Do not round off the corners of that. Expose your children to your authority. Um, Teach them that obedience is right away, all the way, and cheerfully, right? Teach them that. Have mercy upon your children. A wise son heeds his father's instruction. What's the implication in that? What's the father doing? And the mother, along with the father, of course, what's the father doing? The father is instructing. And if we, were to, if we were to look at the book of Proverbs, what's going to be in instruction? There's going to be rebuke, where you say, that is wrong. And there's going to be correction, where you say, this is right. right? And the book of Proverbs has plenty to say about the rod. All of that is a part of the, the disciplining of a child. The father is doing the instruction and the wise son is heeding the father's instruction. So, uh, parents, consider that your children's first exposure to authority is going to be through you. Um, Along the same line, Proverbs 15.12. Proverbs 15.12, a scoffer does not love the one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. A scoffer does not love the one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. Love, proverb isn't talking about warm feelings, hugs and kisses. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. We know that, don't we? Love rejoices in the truth. Why does a scoffer not have love for the one who corrects him? It's because of what we've already seen. It's because a scoffer is not rejoicing in the truth. It's not about hugs and kisses. It's not about, you know, you're failing to generate warm feelings in me. That's not what's going on in the mind of the scoffer. The scoffer doesn't love the one who brings correction because the scoffer doesn't love correction. And why does the scoffer not want it? Because the scoffer doesn't love the truth. The scoffer is a hateful person to the people who would try to correct him. Why? Because the hatred is ultimately against the truth. The scoffer is not rejoicing in the truth. So the scoffer isn't going to rejoice when the one who would bring correction comes and speaks. There's no rejoicing. There's no glad, thankful reception of that. Why? Because there's no worshiping submission to the God of the covenant who condescends with the terms of grace to unworthy sinners. The scoffer refuses to humble himself, refuses to admit that he's misjudged anything. He takes his anger out on those who bring the rebuke. He takes his anger out on those who bring the correction. So how wise it is for Peter to warn us. Scoffers will come. You've got to prepare yourself. Scoffers will come. Peter warned Timothy, didn't he? Right? You'll be preaching, Timothy. He's essentially telling him and Time will come that they won't want to listen. So, Timothy, you've got to be prepared ahead of time. Uh, ver, people that you will be preaching to, Timothy, Paul is telling. The very people, you've been, some of them that you've been preaching to, they will, uh, they'll come to a point where they, they desire the things. They want their ears tickled, and they will, they will turn on you, and they will despise you and despise the things that you've been preaching to them. Timothy, take courage, take heart, keep preaching in season and out of season. All right, this is what you have to give to them, and you've got to endure in this and endure in your ministry. And Peter is speaking to us of endurance. These people will come. They will mock. They will ridicule. They will scorn. They will hate you. There will be an aggressiveness in their hatred against you because they're so in love with their lusts. They don't want to let go of their lusts. They don't want to let go of their craving for evil things. They do not want to be confronted with the concept of justice. That's the last thing they want to think about. And they will hate those who will bring this because it, it's, it, it's it's reminding them of what's coming. Right, And, and we thought about this in a recent sermon. They, this concept of death is something that they can't get out of their heads. They can work as much as they want, but they can't get it out of their heads. And Romans 1 tells us that those who practice such things, they know that these things are worthy of wrath. They know it, and they still practice them anyways. And so... For Someone then to come along and speak to them of an ultimate accountability. Right? It's like sticking your hand in the den of rattlesnakes. The scripture isn't saying don't try. The scripture isn't saying don't try to bring correction if you have opportunity, but you just, you've got to know uh, the dynamics of this hard heart that you're trying to reach. Don't be surprised if they turn on you and they hate you and they, they don't love you as you're trying to bring that truth, which would save them. They don't love the one who corrects them, and nor will they go to the wise. Uh, if, that's, if that's a personal experience, you, you attempt to bring correction to the scoffer, and you try to bring reasoning, and you, you lay out these fundamental truths, as Peter is showing us, uh, the creation of the world and the destruction of the world and the flood, the preservation of the world, all of these by the same God, by the same power, by the same word of His power, um, if they will not listen to you, then you, you know that this is ultimately a rejection of God. It's not ultimately a rejection of you. It's a rejection of God's authority over them. Well, let's look at some results then, and this is where we can conclude for today. Some results of scoffing. Let's look at Proverbs 22:10. This is a very practical proverb. 22:10 Some results. <clears throat> Actually, yeah, we'll look at some results and then we'll look at the very end of scoffers. says, cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. What's implied about the environment created by the scoffer? What kind of environment is that? Pleasant? Peaceful? Is that the kind of of environment you'd like to be a part of? Cast out the scoffer and what else will be cast out? Contention, fighting, strife, reproach. All right? Quarreling. We have unbiblical, unproductive arguing. Not a bad thing for an unrepentant scoffer to pack his bags, if I may put it plainly. Not a bad thing for an unrepentant scoffer to pack his bags. Because in his suitcase, he's going to take with him all of his striving, and because in his suitcase, he's going to take all of his contentiousness when a scoffer packs his bags that dishonor that he's been heaping around will go with him the dishonor the reproach that will cease that's all this outpouring of hatred that the scoffer puts on those who would try to love him through correction through teaching through instruction what do you get if you try to if you try to correct a scoffer what's going to come to you shame that's the reproach here that's being mentioned here well, when the scoffer packs his bags and leaves, guess what he takes with him? All that reproach that he has been heaping upon you. There's a, vari- there's a variety of ways uh, that this may be applied e- even out in the world, and you can probably think of applications uh, pertaining to church discipline that we, would gain, that we would gain from this, although those are always very sad situations, aren't they? Very sad. Um, uh, just, they tear you up, don't they, when you, when you have to go through a process of casting someone out from the congregation. but Sometimes it has to be done. And sometimes when that is done, there is a return to peace in the congregation. There's a protection of peace and a protection of what is good uh, in the congregation. And of course, if a scoffer is cast out, it's his own fault. Because it's not unloving to preserve peace. It's not unloving to preserve unity. It's not unloving for people to look at the contention and the striving and the reproach and to come to a point where they, they have to do something about it, right? There's nothing unloving uh, about that at all. Proverbs 29.8 says, Scoffers set a city aflame, but wise men turn away wrath. Scoffers can set a city aflame. So sometimes the scoffer has to be put out of the city to save the city. All right? Let me conclude with this. The end of scoffers. This is our conclusion here. The end of scoffers. You heard this very plainly presented this morning. It's a good thing to think about. It holds us accountable for us to think of God's perspective on scoffing. This, this is a great aid to our own repentance lest we begin to entertain it, lest we begin to try to round off the corners, lest we try to justify it through however, you know, like anxiety, as it was mentioned before. Proverbs, uh, this is from Proverbs 3, verses 31 through 35. Proverbs 3, verses 31 through 35. Do not envy the oppressor, And choose none of his ways, for the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Surely, notice verse 34, surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be to the legacy of fools. Ah, the great reversal is what we heard of today, the great reversal. The scorners, they scorn God, but in the end, God will scorn them. They dismiss him with their foolish arguments. They observe the world around them. They make these conclusions, and they despise God. They disregard him, but in the end, God will disregard them. Let us take this warning to heart. They despise God's justice. They hate it. They have a sense of what's coming. They know, but they despise it. They throw it away. They disregard it. But in the end, God will despise them with the very justice that they thought they could scorn and get away with. Surely He, that is the Lord, He scorns the scornful that's the last word now in this age there's a lot of words aren't they there's a lot of words there's a lot of scorning there's a lot of scoffing there's a lot of ridiculing and it's aggressive and sometimes it comes very painfully upon Christians but in the end God says he will scorn the scornful but to the humble grace to the humble grace to the wise glory, but to the scornful they will be scorned. A great reversal. When I think of that reversal, I think of what we read in, I was thinking of Psalm 2 today as you were preaching uh, this concept of this reversal. The nation's rage, but in the end it will be God's rage, won't it, that will win. Oh, they rage, yes, the, the nation's rage, Oh, the people plot a vain thing, don't they? They plot, they have their plan. The kings, the powerful men, they have their decree, but it will be God's decree that overcomes. It will be God's decree. The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. There they are scorning, there they are scoffing, there they are laughing. But what does the the psalm tell us? He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Great reversal. All right? We ought to take great comfort in that, that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And uh, as we heard today, we'll be, we'll be on the front row as we witness that. Her smoke will rise like a furnace. And the believers, those who are held by the Lord, will say amen and hallelujah. So I want to leave you with that encouragement today. Because um, it's, it's, it can be discouraging. It can be disheartening. All of the scorning and the scoffing and the laughing and the ridiculing against our Savior. And not only that, but you look within your own heart and you look at the remaining corruptions and and, and they grieve you, don't they? You're grieved. And you find yourself in that Romans 7, uh, that daily experience of Romans 7, the battle. And you do what you don't want to do and you don't do what you want to do. But the day is coming, as as Peter has so powerfully uh, uh, taught us in his book, Uh, The day is coming when it's all going to be gone. The unrepentant scorners will be wiped away. All of their laughing will be silenced. Their ridiculing will no longer be in our ears. Their scoffing will no longer be in our ears. And more than that, these corruptions that plague us, that we hate, that grieve us, gone. Gone. Gone forever. Tears. Gone forever. Pain gone forever. Frustration, gone forever. And walking by faith, gone forever because we'll walk by sight in that day. So take courage, dear saints. Take heart. Um, the, our, our Lord is, is most merciful and he's most faithful to keep his promises.